The Burroughs of Berea is a conversational podcast. We study the Bible and we talk about it. Not all of us are of the same faith, and one of us doesn't actually have a faith. And that's wonderful. We all love one another, and we're going to continue to talk about these things. The things we believe in and the things we believe about what we read in the Bible. Not all of these are necessarily true. Some of it is opinion and speculation. Thank you for listening and speculating with us. There you go. That was good. Yes. Oops, oops, oops. <laughs> you are listening to the Burroughs of Berea. Well, welcome back to the Burroughs of Berea. I'm Rick Welch, and to my left is Billy Ah Candy Kimsey. I'm on a duck. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> That's good. You look hot. Look you at you. Like hot, like how how hot do you manage tent? to stay in shape all the time? Do you work out? A little bit, yeah. Do I you do. eat right? I try to. See, that's the two things that I don't do. So, <laughs> I thought you were on a journey. A second I, uh, well, I've been on a journey. <laughs> yeah, I was a, putting on weight for the winter. Remember? A, yeah, like, it's a Twinkie and pizza. Last journey. time I saw you, you said you had lost fifteen pounds. I, don't know, I have. You, you keep getting. Oh, yeah. congrats. If we like, keep getting K's pizza, oh man, that's hard yeah. To give it K's up. pizza in Hendersonville, it's oh, the best. Oh, okay. So you're on a seafood man. journey. That's like, right. I see, and I'm gonna that's, eat it. Right? I hammered down, Fire son. Out. Some candy. Uh, what I have done is I've begun drinking water, which is something oh, that yes, I loathe. One hundred percent, I loathe it with my whole heart. <laughs> like your body needs. My it. body yeah. needs water, but there is water in Mountain Dew. There's water yeah. in literally everything. everything. Why do we ever drink it? I know, and so I—that's what I want. You know, but it's, anyway, it's, it's totally a, it's, it's at forty-six so grams of sugar that's in that Mountain Dew. And yeah, the caffeine that kills yeah. the Although, water benefit. So yeah. there's this water plug for this water. It's called Essentia. Um, and it's a pH balanced, like plus seven point five alkaline water or something. Dude, just drink I it just want to go on a record and okay. say that that doesn't matter because your body <laughs> immediately puts it at the right pH once it enters your blood. Like that's not that's, how the human body works. Th- I don't care about any of that. <laughs> what I care about is that it tastes fantastic <laughs> in good. comparison to other water. And I do like well water. And I have well water, and I like it. But. Is it pH balance like that deodorant? Yes, it's it's secret. <laughs> yeah, that's what I use. I, just, I splash pH water on my armpits. Strong enough for a man. But made for a woman. <laughs> and oh, you just heard Big yeah. Daddy Carter. <laughs> Straight out of Compton, Ralph Hicks. Represent. Behind the <laughs> Ralph. <laughs> Behind the glass, Rocket Man, Andy Bishop. I got science facts. Yeah, <laughs> he does. Sorry, man. You put water in, and it's gonna be whatever it's supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. You know what it's gonna eventually be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, your stomach is full of hydrochloric acid, so it will be what it will be in in your stomach. Yeah. But but your blood, you cannot change the acidity of your body without like dying. You're still gonna make yeah. pee. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And you just heard Sarita the Edge Edgerton bringing in some science. Hey, y'all. I got science facts too. It's it's true. Men's brains are bigger than women's. It's just science. <laughs> yeah, there's just nothing in them. Oh, that's true. Maybe I've bet some. Sorry for all my coughing. I just got over a uh, chest cold. It's just dust, ladies. <laughs> oh yeah. Baby. So I discovered that I got sick in October, December, February, April, and July. All, and I'll like cover Well, no. It's that water you're drinking. This most yeah. recent one, I don't know. That pH know. ain't helping you none. <laughs> no, it's not. I just like the taste. I'd much rather. Have you ever drank Nestle water? Nestle water tastes like the bottom of somebody. Well, <laughs> Dasani's <laughs> always kind of been like, little me. Yeah, I, I don't really care for some of these. Yeah. You know, but that one, I'm actually cool with it. I don't care about the. Remember all the, the Canadian dry water? No. Mm-mm. Canada dry? Canada dry. I don't the remember the water. water. 
Bat, you just come in the glass bottles? Oh, you mean the clearly Canadian? Cl- yes. No, yeah, but yeah, that's but flavored. That's that was sweet. soda. Yeah, yeah, it was like a soda. It was but a it was soda. soda water. Water. It was really good, yeah, but it, it was wasn't delicious. sugared, right? Technically, oh, yes, yes, it was. It was. Oh, and they, it's so they, sugared. They, they sell them at Costco. I don't have yeah. facts, people. They do yeah. sell them at Costco, <laughs> and it's real sugar. If that it makes you feel any better, yeah. Technically, plus soda is water. Am I wrong? Ninety percent, probably. Exactly, and just some sugar, right? So, if you're trying to put on weight, Mountain Dew does the trick. Trust me. Anyway. So does Doom. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so today, you guys, uh, last week, you heard uh, Dr. Amy Castillo's testimony. This week uh, is my friend, Joel Rosenauer. I had not met him personally. He came, he flew out from Idaho to be with us in Virginia Beach. And uh, the folks at Berean were very nice to host us. Oh, man, it was yeah. me and Rick and Cherry and Rodney and my wife, Holly. And um, yeah, it was wonderful. Got to spend some time with them. And uh, Bob Cruikshank was down there, yes. and he uh, he did his sermon on Sunday, yes. as like always. Bob. Yeah, Bob's awesome. Yeah, I love that guy. But um, yeah, so Joel, a uh, very interesting guy. And I and I go ahead and announce it now. Joel is actually going to be joining the Burroughs side side studies from Idaho. Oh, awesome! Uh, wow. The way we're probably going to do it, Andy, is we're probably going to use Streamyard or Zoom or something. Mm-hmm. And occasionally we might do it with the whole group of the Burroughs, or I will just do it from home and then send you the files and have you edit it as usual. And you know, but um, yeah, if he records locally too. That's kind of how most people do it. They have a Zoom that's call, right. yeah, but they all record individually. Yeah, and I files. think that's the only thing that we have to work out. We're going to start trying to utilize some of the technology that's out there. Have him send the raw data to us and then get it edited up. It'll be cool. But uh, he has a powerful testimony. It's um, it's really cool, like hearing his life and you know how he came to the Lord and um, how he grew up and. So I don't want to I don't want to spoil it for you. So I hope you guys enjoy. Preterism is awesome. Yeah, <laughs> and if you don't like it, you are still awesome. <laughs> anyway, hope you guys enjoy it. We'll talk to you at the end of that. All right, so we are back here in Berean Bible Church doing another testimony series, and uh, we have our guest here uh, along beside me. Here I've got Rick Carter and Sherry. <laughs> Big Daddy Cherry. Oh, right, yeah. that's me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We have a guest that uh, I was introduced to a few months ago. And uh, we've talked on the phone a few times. We've emailed a couple times. And um, our great friend, Michael Miano, up at Blue Point Bible Church, uh, actually uh, had this guest on for a testimony. So if you want to hear it, you can go there, or you can come on Arts too. But um, uh, Michael Miano... Uh, is a, a great. We love you, a, Michael. But come to ours. Yeah, <laughs> he's a fan, a fan of our show. But we're a very big fan of him and and everything that he's doing up there in Long Island. So much love to him and his wife. And then you know they have a a son and a new baby, new baby, a new baby, which we get to see in October. That'd be exciting. Yeah, because we're going up there for a um, for his conference. He's got a conference going on in October. So can't wait to get up here. But so our guest today is Joel Rosenauer. Thank you so much for being here, Joel. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to get this going. So um, I'm going to ask you the same question that I do every one of my guests. Um, so to the best of your ability, can I have your social security number? <laughs> <laughs> I can give you a fake one. <laughs> we laughed about that over dinner. And uh, there was a time in my life whenever I was like, I wish somebody would just steal my identity. <laughs> yeah, right. It would be better for me if they, you know. <laughs> no, but my, my, my first question is um, can you tell me to the best of your ability the first time you heard the name Jesus Christ? Yeah, so it would have been pretty early on. Uh, my dad 
was a pastor for a number of years and then changed careers a little bit later. Grew up in the Lutheran Church. So I can't give you a specific you know, date, but it would have been probably when I was just a few years old. And uh, when you're a pastor's kid, you know, you're, you're there on Sunday, Wednesday, you're helping with all kinds of things. And so that was a lot, that was a big part of my life from a very, very early age. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I really became a Christian until I was 23. Although occasionally there are times in there where I wonder if I had some kind of relationship with, with the Lord, but it, it wasn't anything serious at that point. I grew up just, I guess, religious and and if you would have asked a lot of the people in that church who, who were wonderful, lovely people, but if you would, you know, Christians get together, what are you? They would have said Lutheran first. And I'm always a little bit leery of that even to this day when somebody says Lutheran, Baptist, you know, whatever I want to hear, do you, do you know and love love Jesus? So so I was probably a Lutheran, but I don't think I was a Christian until I was 23. Mm, okay. <laughs> so that, and so that was pretty young, you said. Yeah. 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 And so, so when you became a Christian at 23, I mean, it, it, you can tell us anything you want, but I'm just curious. So you grew up in this church, right. um, but then something happens at the age of 23. What is that? Like, what what triggers that? Yeah. Well, well yeah. Growing up, like I said, um, and I had some good experiences, and um, maybe was religious in some way. But I'm I'm the kind of person that I'm, I'm really inquisitive, and I was the kind of person where, you know, my mom would say, "Stop asking me why." Everything was why, 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 why. And so I knew enough about. Um, you know, the Bible stories, and I knew that Christianity was based largely, I mean, completely in some sense on, on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if that really had taken place. That's kind of uh, the fountainhead for everything. And I would start to ask people those questions, even in late um, elementary school, junior high, and a lot of the people would just say, well, I know he lives because he lives in my heart. And I just that just didn't do it for me, I guess. I want to know, well, did, is it true? Did it really happen? And, and a lot of people maybe didn't have answers for that or hadn't studied it. And so... That's where I started to to doubt, and I, I thought, well, how do these Bible stories work together? Um, there are moral applications, but I wasn't sure if Christianity was was true. And so that's when I kind of, I guess, got really skeptical about it. And and even in my my home, and I and I you know, love both my parents very much. My dad just passed away, you know, recently, but it was interesting because even you know, growing up, even though he's a pastor, we never looked at the Bible at home together ever. It was, it's kind of weird actually. And so I just didn't have a lot of um, like discipleship there. And so I just began to doubt it. And like I said, people's answers were more, I just believe this or I don't, I don't need to look at it any further. Um, and that doesn't mean they weren't genuine believers. But for me, I had to know it was true if I was going to really give my life to Christ. And so when I started doubting some of that, um, that led to a lot of other things. So we also had, I just had one brother who, who died at 33 had been a long-time drug addict. Um, and so even growing up from the time he was really young, it was a very tumultuous situation there. And so I think I had other, you know, why is it like this if God is real? And then I, I took a lot of the same path. I, I should not be, you know, alive. I, there's no way I should be alive at this point because I got um, high school and then to college, you know, very heavily involved with, with drugs and alcohol. Um, and, and uh, you know, followed the path my brother did. And, and um, I think with my dad, um, you know, he was, at that time, I think pastors were encouraged to be at work all the time and almost put their ministries before their family. Sure. And that, that kind of happened a little bit. So there just wasn't a lot of guidance in that. So faith was something I would, you know, I'd go on Sundays or Sunday school and learn these things, but it didn't really have a lot of practical application because our, our, our family you know, was, was really falling apart. And so um, 
what happened for me, um, by the time I was 19, and so I was in college at the time um, studying music. I know we got a couple of musicians out there. Um, that was my first degree. But by the time I was 19, it had gotten so bad with drugs and alcohol, I checked myself into treatment. And I was in two or three treatment centers. I felt like I was losing my mind, which I probably was, just because of the amount of drugs and things I was doing. Um, and um, I got involved in an AA for a while. And, and, and finally, at 21, somewhere in there, um, was able to get sober and stay sober for a while because literally I didn't think I was gonna I was gonna make it. Um, and what happened then? There's a there's a friend that I that I knew that had moved. I was in Washington State at the time, okay. and she had moved to Oregon. And um, this leads to my my 23 story, which is pretty pretty wild. Okay, so I'm I'm not a I'm you know I'm 23, been been sober maybe for a year or two something like that. I'm not a believer. In fact, I would. I was. I had a lot of anger towards God, which to this day I don't know where all of it comes from. But I had a guy in AA who was kind of my sponsor, someone who basically mentors you through that program, and he was a Christian. And it, the moment he'd talk about Jesus, I'd I'd tell him to be quiet. And it was not. He was very patient and gracious. I wasn't very nice to him. I wanted nothing at all to do with Jesus Christ. Um, and but this friend of mine had moved to Oregon, uh, and it. it uh, that blew up. It didn't work out right. I had a VW uh, bus at the time. I was kind of a wannabe hippie. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, she said, can you come down here and pick me up? This didn't work out how I planned it all. And I said, sure. So I'm, I'm driving from Washington down to La Grande, Oregon to pick up this person and bring him back. And literally on the, on the way there, I'm listening to these tapes. A couple guys, they're talking about God in a general sense. I don't know if they're believers or not. Um, and this, this was, I mean, I didn't plan on this. I, I did not wake up that day thinking that I was going to, you know, have a relationship with Jesus Christ at the end of the day. It never entered my mind. And I'm driving along the road and I'm thinking things are better. There's some kind of God in my life because, because all I had done was kind of mess it up to that point. Uh, and, and so I, I literally, I just started crying probably as hard as I've ever cried in my life to the point I couldn't, I couldn't see. I pulled over to the side of the road and, um, and I just started kind of praying. And I said, Jesus, if, if you're the reason you know, that these things in my life have changed, um, the things are getting getting better. Um, I will, you know, I'll follow you the best I can. I'll, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. I'll, I'll, I'll follow you. You're my Lord and my Savior. And that's when I really gave my life you know, to him. And again, and, and I, I happen to believe, and I know Christians have various opinions on this, but I, I'm pretty heavy leaning towards, towards salvation being a monergistic act, meaning it had nothing to do with me. And part of that's based on my experience. I, I would have never, I don't think, chosen God but he seemed to choose me, you know, when I was 23, and and uh, and for the most part, um, by his grace, I have done that and followed him wherever he's asked me to go and done whatever he's asked me to do. It doesn't mean again I haven't fumbled the ball along the way, but but that was my experience. I mean, it was dramatic. Within a few days, you know, friends and people knew me. Said even my even the way I talked was different, and and it was like a lot of things changed overnight. Mm. And um, so that's how I came to Christ. So you have this moment. So you're 23 years old. You have this yeah. moment. And, you know, the people have explained, well, I don't know. He's in my heart. Right. Um, and you were like, you weren't literally crying, like buying that and all that. Right. So was he in your heart? Yeah, at that point, absolutely. So, then, so everything that they were saying, uh, you weren't buying, but right. then you have this moment. Now he's in your heart. Right, absolutely. Right. So that's your explanation now, right? Yeah. 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 But the other cool thing about that was because mm-hmm. I had been so skeptical once, once I was saved, I started, re- you know, trying to. Then I started searching out Christianity, you know, through you know, you know, through history, um, a little bit through archaeology, through you know, studying the resurrection. 
because like I'm still comfortable with this day. Like I like talking to atheists or agnostics or people that are angry with God because I, because I totally get it. Do you like that, Andy? Uh, yeah, yeah you I, like I, that? I, I, wish I wish he was here. I, so I, I, meet I, you, right? I wish yeah. I wish he were here too. But, yeah, yeah, because I do listen to you guys a lot. But I kind of like that because because some people don't need the evidence, but but other people do. And so like, I love to ask people questions because because I think people that are that are really hostile towards Christianity assume that it's only people just leaving something in their heart and there's no, you know, there's no veracity to it. And so to just ask a question, you know, somebody says, well, of course the resurrection didn't happen. Oh, that, that's interesting. Why did you come to that conclusion? Sure. And, and um, so that's, that's, I think God's used that to help me be able to talk to people, you know, from all kinds of different walks of life, or certainly because of my experience with alcohol and drugs, you know, people that are still caught up in that or whoever. So Yeah, I'm really, I'm, I'm so curious about that person that was at the, I guess it was the AA sponsor or whatever you yeah. said that he was really gracious to you. Yeah. So you were hostile. Oh, yeah. And you were like, no, I'm not listening to this, whatever. And you said he was very loving and gracious. Yeah. And so did that have an effect on you at all? Or did, only later didn't you look back and you say, oh, wow, that guy was really nice, maybe, even though. Probably. Not at the time, right, but maybe later. a little bit later. That's later. one of the things I want believers to understand yeah. is that if you, sometimes you're going to deal with people that are hostile and you may not get to see that change, but right. it could Twenty years later, and that person, they're going to remember how you treated them, even though you, oh, yeah. they were. You just yeah. like that. To me, that's important. Yeah. We have to remember that, yeah. even though it's happening in real time. And they're like, "You're, I'm not listening to you. <laughs> right, you just yeah. believe in fairy tales, you right, know." And you're right, like, right. like, "Hey, man, I love you. Okay, whatever, right. you know, love, you know." And then it was really neat for that guy too. His name was Mike, but I, I ended up. Um, it's cool you remember was, his name. Yeah. Well, because yeah. well, we were became friends, and we still he we live in different places now and stuff, but. But was my whole process seems a little bit backwards, maybe the traditional road. So here I had this experience, and then you know I started telling every everybody about it, you know, and they're like, "Well, what are you going to do now?" And I, I thought, "Huh, I wonder if I should join a church." You know, what I mean? yeah. kind of, you know. <laughs> but that was that happened to be the same church he was a part of, um, and uh, you know, at that point, then I got really interested in the church, and then and then God used like a lot of things from my music background. I mean, I'd never been interested really in teaching people. But a guy from that church took me under his wing and said, hey, have you ever thought about teaching music? And I thought, I don't know. So then I went back to school and, and did that for a number of years. And so it's just neat how God takes all these things and you know, redeems them and, and, and uses them for the benefit of other people. So what, what kind of music, like what instrument do you play? Pretty much everything in a rock type of scenario. So yeah. anything, anything with strings on it and keys and... So the piccolo. Drum, the piccolo, the piccolo, like Jethro yeah. Tull and the yeah. piccolo, yeah. So David no? has plenty of room for you here at Brea Bible <laughs> yeah. Church yeah. if you're ready to join yeah. a <laughs> praise and worship band. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. so you so pretty much, uh, so you go back to school for music, yeah. is that what it is? Yeah. And then you study music, and then do you actually get into teaching? Yeah, yeah, I taught for about 12 years. Wow. Uh, mostly high school. Like and as then, a music teacher? Yeah. Oh, yeah, mostly oh, vocals, fun. but I but I did some other stuff too. And and uh, were you at the elementary, middle, or high school level? Mostly high school, but I would sometimes do like point eight at high school, and then a junior high class here and there. Um, so was it just music class, or did you do like um, band, or were you? I did like some piano, and then I started a couple guitar classes. Oh, okay. I did like music appreciation, but I've never been a band teacher. Not like a marching band director no. or something. No, okay. No. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So you so so take us to here. Like tell us so. Um, you you sort of want to do things for the Lord, and uh, we. I, I guess I must say that you are a pastor, or you or, or you were a pastor, yeah. and so tell me. So from there, you know, you're you're a teacher, but you're not a pastor at that point when you're a teacher, right? Right. right. So so how do you get to that point? So I I started doing some part time music um, 
for, for church. Um, and this is all up kind of in the greater Seattle, Seattle area. And, um, and I just, I just really loved it. And what happened when, when I was 23 and I got saved, cause that was so, that was so radical. And my, and I know it happens different for lots of people, but I just, I had a hunger for the word of God right off the bat. Like I couldn't get enough of it. And then I, then I would, you know, find other, other books, just read all this stuff. And so when I got into doing music for church as well, I got into, I realized that, hey, some of the songs we sing, you know, might be, have nice tunes, but the words are like horrible. Like yeah. the theology's right. terrible, you know? Yeah. And I hadn't really thought about that before. So I started studying that. And I think that's, that was, I think, my way into really thinking more Theologically. Can, I share, we, and, Can I share yeah, one? Can I share one with yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. There, in, there's, a, <laughs> there's an old Baptist hymn. Just give me a little cabin in the corner of Glory Land. <laughs> yeah. I hate that song. Yeah. It is like I, I used to work with this um, African American guy. Beulah Land. Yeah, but he told me he's like, I hate that song. He said, I want a mansion. God promised me a mansion. <laughs> <laughs> I got stuck give on me, a cabin on the I got hill. a cabin on a little, a little cabin in the corner of Glory Land. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I don't like that theology either. So yeah. anyway, yeah, so, so you're, no, there, there's a lot, and I realized um, you know, a lot of a lot of Christians are not necessarily you know studying the Bibles a lot on their own for whatever reason. So they were getting their, a lot of their theology you know, through the songs as well as the teaching. And, sure. that, and that made me feel uh Kind of a heavyweight responsibility that I hadn't really thought of when I started doing it was just oh let's put you know let's put a set list together or whatever and and um, and if people are singing louder okay that's probably a good song you know that type of thing but I started thinking really theologically um, and and that got me I think really into studying the Bible kind of more more seriously um, and then over time I felt called into more of like a full time vocational ministry and so then I did music ministry for a number of years. Um, in Squim, Washington, which is, if nobody's ever been there, uh, just just <laughs> west of the Puget Sound, uh, west of Seattle, it's it's one of the most beautiful places on the planet. I Squim? think. Squim. Squim. That's a weird it's name. Peace, peaceful yeah, waters. Yeah. It's a Native American. Oh, term, okay. Yeah. Thought it was it like looks, a combination like, between squaw and yeah, swim. Yeah, and it looks like sequim if you look at it. Sequim. But squim. Okay. <laughs> Squidward. Yeah. <laughs> Squidward. <laughs> but I but I I was there for um, about ten years. It's a wonderful. Uh, experience and that that church was Presbyterian, although the pastor called himself a Presbyterian. So okay, um, but there um, you I know got the in, difference between a Presbyterian and a Baptist, right? Yeah, what a Presbyterian will speak to you at the liquor store. Okay, yeah, that's <laughs> <probably> good. <laughs> silly difference. I, I like it. I love it. I love it. Um, but there, I you know was again started, started studying the Bible a lot more. And um and and there and there even before then I had started moving from like into more reformed theology but but especially there I probably getting into a little more more of that um, but but then over time I just felt led more into some kind of a teaching role and then so then I went back and did like a three year um, ministry training program and that's how eventually I got into being a pastor so wow yeah. now were you a pastor in Squim no okay so it's after that yeah I got to, I got some opportunities. Like the longer I was there to to teach more and to take sort of a, like an associate pastor sort of role on top of the music, mm-hmm. but then I became I guess an, an official you know pastor um, after that. Right, and so I guess I hope I didn't miss this, but was that Presbyterian? That that church was, but, but, then, but where I, you became a minister? It, in, it was an independent. Independent. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so at this stage when you're becoming. Um, I assume you you have children. Mm-hmm. You're in your so so tell me about that. So you've do you have your family at this point when you're when you're going through school yeah. and all that? Okay, yeah. yeah. 
All right. Yeah. And that was another, you know, the way God works in my life, it, it'll be like a, um, I don't know, it just seems like these, you know, kind of working one experience to another. And I think, I think, I, think I mean, biblically informed experience. I realized just, you know, experience isn't always great. But that was another thing when I felt led in the teaching role, I didn't quite know how to do that. Um, and I just kept, I like to, to walk and, and pray. And um, that was another time when I, I just, I felt like what I was supposed to do, um, almost like I heard a voice say, show people the glory of my son, you know? And so that's what, at that point, really, you know, who is, who is Jesus and what did he accomplish and what did he do? Um, and, that's, and that's really, I, th- I felt like I could do that more as a teaching pastor. So that's why I got more into that role. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So obviously um, we're here at Berean Bible Church. And you you know their eschatological view, right? And so, what's eschatology? Yeah, exactly. I said that for years, <laughs> um, but so I'm really curious because I know that a lot. I know a little bit about your story. Yeah. Um, but our audience doesn't. Yeah. So I'd like to know, like, so what? Tell me how that happened for yeah, you. This is, this is, Let's just work through it with me. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. So, so I would say, first of all, because I've always been pretty interested in theology, mm-hmm. eschatology was, was, was always a part of that. And like, and like, you know, I've listened to your show and, and uh, talked to other people. A lot of people have questions along the years with eschatology. So I certainly had those. But I would have never, I mean, even a couple of years ago, but especially about three years ago, I, I would have never thought it would be possible to believe what I believe now. Sure. Um, I came to the conclusions I have now about eschatology, not even studying eschatology. And here's what happened. So again, I'd always been interested in theology. Um, I started as a dispensationalist, which a lot of people do. I wouldn't have known that word at the time, but maybe for listeners that don't know that, kind of, kind of the, I think still the most prevalent thing taught that it, it includes, you know, coming Antichrist, um, you know, the millennial kingdom, you know, the rapture, all of that, and I realize I'm being a little vague, but that's dispensational teaching. And that's where I started. And as I began reading, and again, nobody, um, I, I sort of feel, this will sound weird, but I sort of feel like a, like God has kind of been um, my library. And like even a lot of stuff I've read, it's people haven't necessarily said read this or that. I would just read things and then maybe go to the bibliography and let's see what this person says. And it's just where he's led me has been absolutely incredible. Like mm-hmm. I don't think anybody could have directed me as well as he has. And so I started questioning the rapture and other things probably years ago, um, but still was studying eschatology just as sort of a part of Christianity and didn't realize its significance. So, so what happened specifically to get me to where I am now is I, I started pastoring um, a church um, in May of, I guess, 2019. Um, and that's, that's where I, and I'm not a pastor there anymore, but about, I was there about three and a half years and um, what happened is, you know, COVID hit a few months later. And like a lot of places, um, we decided, well, maybe we shouldn't meet for a few weeks. We didn't know what to do. And I had only been there a few months. And for those people that have been, you know, pastors or some type of vocational ministry, that's not very long. I mean, you've got so much to do. You're, you're trying to learn, you know, your congregation. You're trying to understand what people really believe about things and, and uh, you know, what are the families like and what's going on. So I didn't know people that well. And here I am now. I can't even see them or meet with them. And I'm thinking, what can I do to, to uh, sort of get the church thinking about the same thing at the same time? And so, you know, we were leading up to Easter, and that was just, I mean, it was so odd not to meet and then not even to meet on Easter. In fact, funny story, though, one of the members of our church, I found out who was later, but she came in like the night before Easter because I was still going in on my own and just, and just recording sermons on Sundays. 
and putting them online. And she lined up like two rows of stuffed animals in the first two rows when I came <laughs> on Easter morning. And actually, they were a lot wow, more engaged sweet. than a lot of the congregation was, you know. But, yeah. but, but anyway, um, I thought, I, I was always interested in the last few days of Jesus' life. At leading least up their to eyes Easter. were open the whole time. I know their eyes were open the whole they time. They were sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. They were soft. They were soft. <laughs> soft. And, yeah. We, we, I think our pastor did something similar to that, right, Holly? Like they, they, uh, there was somebody, they had put names of people. What's that? Oh, yeah. They put names and faces. And, and Rodney's here. Rodney, didn't you tell him that uh, uh, the pastor actually had said, I'll sit here, I'll preach the gospel even if there ain't nobody in the pew. And then it was like two weeks later and COVID happened. There's and Rodney nobody said, there. Rodney said, well, I guess that's what you're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> right. But then he did it. He stayed faithful and he did it. And I appreciate you being yeah, faithful. Yeah. And, yeah. and and I know I know Pastor Curtis did here too. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. We needed it too. We needed it wherever we could get right, it, right? Right. Yeah. And and so what, what I decided to do was um, just do some short videos, like eight ten minutes a pop, with the last few days of Jesus's life, and then put those out every few days. So and my thought was maybe at least everybody was kind of thinking about this, and and just to kind of keep people in the word a little bit. And um, and so when you do that, um, I I started you know a lot a lot of the last few days of Jesus' life are are right before the Olivet Discourse and the different passages in the Bible. So I started about in, in Matthew 21 and then kind of working on from there. And that's when, you know, and, and uh, what, what we know as Palm Sunday. And it was as I was, and again, I'm not studying eschatology. It's that's the furthest thing from my mind. I'm trying to think about how can I hold the church together in this really weird COVID deal when nobody knew what was going on. And, um, but as I started studying that, um, it, it just, it was almost like um, there are all these kind of, puzzle pieces in my mind and they just kind of started shifting and moving around because I started looking at this last few days and, and uh, when I got to Matthew 23, which is where it's sometimes called the seven woes and he's saying woe to you and, and, and really um, not being very nice to the Pharisees <laughs> and religious leaders. We call it putting the hammer yeah, down. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's what he's doing. And, and I had seen all that before and then and he talks about all these things happening that they were going to be responsible for the blood all the way back to Abel and, and it's all going to be that generation and I had seen that and I think most people you know, most believers would would agree that he's talking specifically to them, but then there's this you know shift in Matthew 24, and he goes out of some different things. But as I was doing that, it just I don't know something hit me that there he's he's I mean he's talking just to his disciples after, but he's talking about the same same events. And and um, I had read years before a book by Hank Hanegraaff called The Apocalypse Code, and in mm-hmm. that book Hank Hanegraaff had mentioned that Babylon was Old Covenant Israel, and that was the first time I had ever ever seen that in my life. And I remember thinking that that's really interesting. I've never thought about that, but that, you know, and I like Hank, but that's, that just probably can't be right. And I just kind of set it aside. Well, what happened is I was going through, um, you know, part of the Olivet Discourse, getting to put these videos together, is it just really, really struck me. I was, because I had been reading Revelation a little bit and I'm looking at this language, you know, Matthew 23, and then you go to, Revelation is talking about Babylon and it uses basically the exact same language about murdering the prophets and all these things. And something, something just, just clicked. Mm -hmm. And I would say within two or three days, I was completely freaking out Mm. because all this stuff just started. I I had studied the Bible enough, but just not cohesively enough because I didn't have the right hermeneutic to do it. And this stuff just started shifting and going together. And I felt like, you know, like a freight train was coming at me and I was running from a tidal wave. And it was actually really, really scary. And I had, I did, I'd never heard the word preterism, fulfilled eschatology, anything. This is about, you know, three, a little over three years ago or so. Mm-hmm. 
And um, I, I didn't know anybody that I, I thought there's what I'm starting to believe. I don't know if there's anybody on the planet that, you know, that believed it or had seen it before. And um, it was, it was actually pretty scary, but I, but I, I, again, I knew, especially the New Testament, I knew pretty well and I just couldn't, you know, I couldn't unsee this stuff. And so that's where that journey really started. I started taking notes like crazy. Um, I ended up within about eight weeks, well, maybe not, maybe eight to 10 weeks writing a book, which I've never, which I had never done before. Cause all this, if, and, and then over the course of, um, and I probably was obsessed with it. And I don't know if that's a good thing or not, but I probably was, but over the course of next year and a half, I read like, you know, I would just, I would, at, so at that point, I, you know, I feel like initially the Lord just, just showed me this, but then I started reaching out to people. I read, I'd read a book and I'd contact the author and I couldn't believe how many people talked to me. A lot of people know these, know these names, but, you know, Ed Stevens, Don Preston, you know, John Noe, I listened to, to David Curtis a lot, um, you know, Daniel Rogers, then Mike Sullivan later, and, and just a lot, of different, a lot of different folks and started reading all this stuff. And then we started reading stuff further back and you go back into these commentaries and they were older and a lot of guys were seeing a lot of this stuff. I just hadn't known it before, but it, uh, but it, it, this journey went pretty fast for me and it was only, you know, within a few weeks, I was what we would now call partial preterism, again, a term I didn't know. And I was a full preterist. Um, I don't know, that, so COVID, that, you know, this is around, what, I guess, eight, March, April, kind of to Easter and sometime August, September, because I was taking these notes too. In September of 2020, I wrote, Sometime in the last few weeks, I, I, I came to the conclusion that, that Jesus returned and all the consummate events with it. So, but it was, I mean, it was, it was scary because I thought this, this cannot possibly be right. But, but what I was seeing in scripture was telling me that it was. Another thing I did is I, I found everything I could get my hands on that was, um, you know, to debunk full preterism. And some of that stuff convinced me the most because some of these guys, even that were really able scholars, I felt, all of a sudden, the exegesis went out the window when they started talking about <coughs> eschatology. So, yeah, that's kind of how it happened. Yeah, dang. So he found he basically found it like you were looking for your car keys, and you found the TV remote you hadn't seen in years. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah. And that's what <laughs> that he threw away. Yeah, there's so um, that feeling you were talking about being scared. You know, yeah. like that coming yeah. out of freight train. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. I remember that feeling because I thought, if this is true, and I've I felt like I had been duped. Um, even though I had read the scripture, I had a filter that was yeah. pretty locked in. So when I would read things that were a little confusing, I would just skip over them. Yeah. But it wasn't intentional. It just right. happened. It's the filter that we have. Right. Right. And something that I've recognized in a lot of these testimonies that talk about this is that there comes a period of time in their life when they actually get, they can read. Yes. They can focus yeah. And then it's like these things start to pop out at them and then they start looking and then they start to see that other people have thought this too. Yeah. And then, then they begin to, to really put in the effort. And then when they get to the end of it, they all find this, if they're going to follow it consistently, they come to this full preterist right. position. Otherwise you have to divide it up. Like you said, partial yeah. preterist. And you're like, okay, I'm going to argue against it. I did the same thing. Yeah. I was like, there's no way that this is, there's no way that we've missed this. Right. And that was that was difficult because you yeah. really are taking a stand that no one else is taking. Yeah. And it's, I was and I was afraid to be honest just because I, I thought I had such a good handle on what Christianity was. I was afraid that I wasn't going to be able to Christ, to be a Christian anymore. Right. So part of it was frustration like why haven't I been told this or shown this? But part of it is I am I just am I am I wrong and am I going off the deep end and am I going to leave 
my faith. And I had, you know, since I'm 53 now for 30, you know, so for at that time, 27, 28 years, I'd had this, just this incredible relationship with Jesus and, um, and just, you know, sense his presence all the time. Now I could tell you why a little bit more, but I, I just, I was afraid I was going to not, like I couldn't be a Christian anymore if I believed these things. Right. Well, and a lot of Christians will tell you that. They yeah. tell you that you are no longer a Christian because you believe that. And, I, and I've had that told to myself. It, it happens or told to me. And so um, I, I'm right there with you, yeah. right there with you on that. Yeah. So you are a pastor of a church. You're sitting there, you're discovering this, this is all during COVID. So this is around August, September of 2020. Of 2020. Yeah. yeah. All right. So keep trucking. Tell me what's up. Yeah. So um, if you want, I mean, it's up to you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, no, I would love to. Okay. Um, so then I start realizing, um, you know, because I'm, I'm still teaching, but I'm in a very, very, very dispensational church. Mm-hmm. I mean, very like like. And then when COVID came, so that was the that was the next you know event for now. Jesus the, is coming again. The mask of the beast. Mask of the beast. I heard all yeah, that. And yeah. I literally from just within my little church, which lovely, lovely people. Sure, of course. Um, but but. Pretty much every week, you know, whether it was a Sunday morning, Bible says something else, you know, people talking about the rapture. There was one lady that would tell me fairly regularly, I can't believe I still woke up this morning, you know, thought I'd be raptured away. Um, there were people saying that the, that if there was a vaccine for COVID developed, because there wasn't yet at that time, that, you know, that was the mark of the beast. Um, and so, you know, pretty... Which technically you know, it was. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. Right. Well, let's just call it like it is. Yeah, right. And it wasn't very effective, Mark, was it? Because you have to keep taking it over and over and over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but, so, but because I did, I hope my motives were right. And because I did love the church, I realized if I just stand up, you know, on some Sunday morning and say, hey, by the way, guess what? Um, you know, that's not going to probably be a, a wise move. Um, also, um, and I want to be very general about this, but, but uh, uh, my wife, you know, very, very strong feelings against this. Even when I started to see a little bit of this, um, you know, I was following a different Jesus. I was part of a cult. Um, my mind was being influenced demonically. I mean, things, and, and so I was really caught in a really tough spot. Um, so I took about two years and, uh, you know, studied the Bible more than I ever have, prayed like crazy, reached out to as many people as I could. And, like, and I've been so humbled and amazed by how many how many people have been willing to talk to me and, and help me process, and, and including several pastors, in, including uh, Pastor Curtis here, thank you, who kind of help, and, and you might try this, or here's how to think through it. And so I, I tried to do that the best that I could, as wisely as I could, because I loved the congregation. It wasn't my goal you know, to wreck anybody's faith or anything. In fact, I, I didn't even have a goal of having a church of preterists. I, I, had a, I, wanted, I had a goal of having a church of good Bereans who would study the scriptures and love one another and really struggle through this. And so I took over two years before I actually started teaching any, any of what I was learning. I did have a bi- weekly Bible study where I would introduce some concepts. And actually that was going really well, especially like the destruction of Jerusalem, because nobody had heard any of it. Neither had I. Um, and so that was going pretty well, but I didn't start teaching it to the full congregation until at least two years after that. And, and within three months, I'd lost my job. Um, and it was related to sort of the... We hear that a lot too. Yeah. Three, yeah. Mo- three months from when you... When I started teaching it. Ah, uh, so three months. Were you sharing it with anybody originally? Because I know you took two years. Were you sharing your views or your what you're seeing with anybody? 
locally? Anybody in general? Yeah, well, a lot of people that, that I've met online through some different groups and things I was in. Um, but locally, just a couple people, but nobody in my nobody at, at my church because I, I suspected how they how they would respond. Just because again, I had had that same mindset at, at one point. How about at home? At home, that's when I, well, I tried sharing it, but that's where it, it got really difficult, sure. really, really fast. Yeah, and so so this um, is like, in other words, you're hearing the things that you were afraid of, the things that you were seeing, the things that you thought, hey, I may not be a Christian anymore, like all those things, but you've gone through this, you've talked to a lot of people that yeah. are in this, um, that uh, look at it and agree the same way that you do, but yet you're being told it's like the doctrine of devils, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, these dispensational churches, a lot of times that's what they'll yeah. tell you. Yeah, um, You're and, confused and, it ties and in, Satan's it ties the right author into of the, confusion. It ties right into the system because I'm, I'm part of the last days of apostasy. Mm-hmm. That's you know, exactly right. Yeah, yeah. So they, and that, but isn't it strange? That's always the case for every generation. Yeah. yeah. There's always yeah. that. You, so it is a really, it's a catch 22. Yeah. And we know, I mean, we, we yeah. and we realize it before we start vocalizing it. We already right. know how this is going to play right. out. Right. Every bit of, uh, right. And I was told again, these are people, people very close to me that I was, you know, my motives were to destroy the church and wreck everybody's faith. Yeah. Yeah, you're trying to get everybody. You, you're trying to keep everybody from actually getting to the rapture, right? Which your theology did nothing but, which is interesting in itself. To become a preterist, you have to study more than you've ever have. Yeah, mm. and you dig more than you've ever oh, had I know. before. Yeah, I, and it's kind of like a, it's it's an oxymoron. Yeah, when, when I got into some of these, and I know some people in here have probably been in some of these groups too, um, Facebook or other places. But when I got into some of these groups, and I did that so that I had a way to communicate with people. That were that were safe for me at that time when I, when I was trying to figure out what to do, I would say that I mean, and a lot of these people argue with each other a lot. We were talking about that earlier about some of the nuances, but I would say I mean most. No, we don't do that. Yeah, <laughs> but but I would say I mean these people that are meeting these groups and most of them you know didn't have formal ministry training, weren't pastors, or knew far far more about the Bible than any people I'd encountered in my whole life. And that's that's the ironic thing is yeah these are people that are that are trying to be Bereans and doing what God asks us to do, and you're being condemned often by people who won't even open up their Bibles and look. Right. Well, like I said, what we hear a lot on these testimonies is that when they finally come to see this, they've actually had the time and they put the time yeah. in. Yeah. Either it's something in their life or whatever has happened, whether it's COVID or wherever, yeah. they they stop yeah. and they look at it. Yeah. I remember mine. I was just very interested. <laughs> I just wanted to know how good were the Burroughs of Berea doing at Google? <laughs> that was me, right? And then I discover the Berean Bible Church. And then for the next, you know, eight months, I'm like yeah. sucked into YouTube, yeah. you yeah. know, just watching it and yeah. watching it and like, yeah. oh my goodness, I've never heard this, you yeah. know, and I kept going. And then I would ask questions of Jeff, people. Jeff, it's all your fault, thanks sir. To me, thanks <laughs> yeah, thanks to, yeah, thanks to Jeff McCormick. But yeah, so when, uh, and Bob Cruikshank and Mike yeah. Sullivan and David Curtis, yeah. like all of them, I watched yeah. all of them yeah. over and over, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Spreading the love, that's right. Yeah. But um, that I remember, I remember that. Right. And so when I would go to these people that I knew that I thought had studied the Bible yeah. pretty well, um, and I would talk to them about it, right. it was just, it was almost like it was for me, like there was a little bit of a wall, but there was no, like there's, there's no opportunity for grace there. It's almost like their doctrine is, there's such a wall. Right. But I think that, again, it's the sovereignty of God that pierces that and breaks that wall down in order for them to see it. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, you know, yeah, like I, salvation. Yeah. It's, it's, it's odd. Yeah, and I think what, what happens, and this is kind of my opinion, but it's based, based on a lot of my um, experience, especially with dispensationalism. Although a lot of the Reformed guys can be super harsh too, but 
But dispensationalists, <laughs> with dispensationalists, <laughs> you're so right. I know. Yeah. But but with dispensationalists in particular, because it's such an intricate system that what 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 I've seen happen in number these are people that I know personally is they see you know you know the rapture, the millennial king, the antichrist, all that as tenets of salvation. So mm-hmm. the moment you question one of those, you're not awesome. just having a different eschatology. You're no longer saved mm-hmm. because they see it as a package system, and nowhere in the scripture. Is any of that included remotely having to do with salvation? And false prophets, that's a huge thing. Yeah. So a minute you, anything can be claimed outside of their box, it's a false prophecy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and I've had people like in some of these groups, and I'm not doing much with Facebook these days, just partially because I've had a lot, of, a lot of life changes and haven't had time. But literally sometimes, and I try to be really gracious too because some guys aren't, and that's not helping us at all. Um, but I, all I will do is like ask, well, have you considered these verses? And and I and I won't comment on the verses. I won't give any interpretation. And they'll they'll type back, that's just your interpretation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I didn't say anything. I just quoted some verses. So that's how powerful they are. Yep. But there's there's such a wall, and and whether it's pride or or what it is. No, I don't. I don't know. So as you're te- you're teaching your church, right? Yeah. And it goes on for about three months, and you yeah. say you lose your job now. Dr. Don Preston told us that whenever he was doing that, that there were a lot of people within his church that started getting excited yeah. and they oh, were yeah. asking and questions then, and it was growing. Yeah, the church was growing. And then it was the elders of the church that really shut it down. Yeah. Now, did you have that going on in yours? Or any, was anybody coming up and saying, asking yeah, you questions? Yeah, no, I had people, I had people like, uh, and this is, you know, um, fairly small church, but I'd have um, sometimes talking to people on Sunday mornings or, or people would send me texts later. I had people saying things like, you know, thank you. I, I I'm starting to understand the Bible now. You know, I didn't really know what this meant, but I was I've been a Christian for years. I was I was kind of embarrassed, you know, to ask people. Yeah, I had that stuff happen on a on a regular basis and in the Bible study too. So I think I think it was really helpful for a lot of people. I did I did start doing a series on um like prophetic, you know, judgment language from the Old Testament. I did have one guy after the first one, he's like scratching his head. He's like, are you sure? I said, come back next week. Yeah. <laughs> but for the most part, it was really positive. And with my elders too, it, I had I had talked with them about quite a bit of this, um, but it was just, they they basically had, had said, well, you know, because I wanted to do even some separate studying on They basically said, hey, just you know, keep teaching what you're teaching. And if we, you know, find something that doesn't write, we'll let you know. And I would invite them too. Yeah, please let me know if I'm, if I'm saying something that's not, and the Bible isn't right. Let me know. So that they were just kind of going a week at a time that way. But we had gone through quite a bit of the Olivet discourse, and then one of the guys was retired, so I had more time to spend with him. And I'd even gotten to you know that I thought Revelation was um, you know had been fulfilled. Um, you know, new heavens and new earth were now time statements, all that. And he's like, I that's what it says. So I, I thought that things had been going pretty well, you know, with with the elders at that point. Yeah, but. Three months later, you're out of a job. Yeah, yeah. And in my case, and, and I'm being a little bit general on this on, on purpose because it's just happened so recently and, and for my family's sake, but but it was kind of a, I would say, kind of a collision between, it had to do largely with eschatology, but in the, in the, in the marriage and some really difficult things there. And when I shared some of that with the elders, how difficult some of that had been in the, the marriage, um, then uh, we had kind of a meeting about that and that I felt actually ended fairly positively, and then two weeks later, they called another meeting, and I thought we were just going to kind of see, okay, what do we do from here? And they said, they said you're done, and you're, you, know, you can either be terminated or resign, but you're, you're done. That was Wednesday, January 25th, and, and uh, I was basically told to, and a lot of churches, a lot of churches do this. It just happened to another friend of mine, completely different circumstances, 
we'll give you severance for a few weeks, but if you talk to anybody from the church or say anything that's not peaceful, that'll be gone too. Happens all the time. It's well, really that's, unfortunate. that's something that I want our audience to really understand here. I really want them to understand this. You could have stayed quiet. You could have played the game. You could have just buried your head in the sand. You could have held everything together. You would most likely still have everything together at your home. Right. Because what's going on is that once the home starts to split up, now they have some grounds, right? right. The, uh, the pastor has to be a husband of one wife or they're going right. to whatever. Right. And so now they can start showing that shake up. And then, well, if you can't hold your home, then you can't be over the church. Right. And so, and they they use all of these things. And, and I'm not saying that they're diabolical. I'm right. saying that this is, this is the way that it works, right? So, but, our, but for what I want our listeners to understand is that you, when you read this and you understand it and you believe it to be true, right. that there comes a point when you have to say, I'm going to believe what the Bible says despite what's going to happen. And we know what's going to happen. Right. Right. It hasn't happened to me like it has happened to you. I've been expecting it, but it hasn't happened. I assume it will. I don't know, but I'm, I'm ready because I've had so many examples that came before me. Yeah. That I've seen, and so I'm, you know, I'm thankful. Um, Glenn Hill, I love him dearly, and he tells the same story that you do, except he had a wife that stayed with him, right? right. And I, and I know your situation and how you've had to face a lot of this alone, yeah. but you're not alone. Right. You have the Lord, and you have all of us, right. but it still doesn't make it any easier because you're all the way out there in Idaho, right? Right. Yeah. right. But uh, that's something that I need our listeners to understand. If you have a, this moment when you suddenly see this and you're like, "This is real," you ha- you just have to. Yeah. You've got to go with what the scriptures say. You've got to go with what the Lord tells you. And then he's opening these things up to you. He's showing you. Right. And then you can actually get this peace and this love and the right. stuff that we keep talking right. about that comes from this. I, I was just talking to other other Rick here a little bit earlier today, but I had, you know, some time because I was That's praying, Big Daddy. Big Daddy. That's Big Daddy, Daddy Carter Daddy. right there. Yeah, I don't know what oh you but but I was praying through all this. And this and this was just sort of everybody understands too. And then people will that have gone through this. But I mean, this was very Dramatic for me, um, lots of tears, lots of sleepless nights, um, just because I wanted, I, I knew some of the costs, you know, for the same reason you just shared. I had I'd known some other pastors by that point, had lost jobs, known numbers, people that had been kicked out of at least one church. But I also wanted, it's, it's such a wonderful thing. Like other than, other than coming to salvation initially, and there have been some other big moments in my in my faith. Sure. But what I've seen, because to me, this is so much more than eschatology. It's a whole hermeneutics. It's a whole way of understanding all of Scripture. It's absolutely blown my mind, and it's it's changed my life. Yes. Radically. And so I was having a moment, a particular moment in prayer, and this was when I had decided I was going to start teaching this, but I'm still kind of, you know, do I really want to do that? You know, and there were a couple of preterists even that are they're still close friends of mine, and they were saying, you know, maybe— they were basically saying, it's okay if you don't do this. Like, you don't have to do this, or you're not a bad person, you don't do this. But I I was praying in kind of this intense time in prayer, and I kind of got up in my office. I would, I mean, I would literally like lay prostate and um, and, and, and pray like that. And I, and I got up from that, and I kind of thought, well, if I don't teach this, what do I teach? Yeah. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't answer that question, you know, because it affects so much. Um, but, it, but, but you are going to, yeah, I've ended up... Um, Losing pretty much everything. Like, like literally now, I've been living just from from place to place. Like, I don't even have a place to, to live um, because I'm still supporting my family, you know, financially the best I can. And stuff. But it's it's been it's been awful in in terms of temporal circumstances. It's one of the most difficult times of my life by far. That's still going on. I mean, this all happened 
just at the end of January of this year. My dad also died five days later, and then I have my first son about my church. That's another thing that churches don't realize. When you're in vocational ministry and you lose your job, you lose your family. Yeah. I love the church. Christ died for the church. Yes, he did. And I, and I love believers, and I love them whether they're, they're dispensationalists or amillennialists or postmillennialists or yes. whether they baptize correctly or baptize babies or whatever they do. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just messing with people. Or what they believe as spiritual gifts, you know, we need to— That's pedobaptism. Yes, it is. We just we learned just that last week. Yes, we did. Yeah, yeah we right. did, yeah. But we need to— Correctly or incorrectly. <laughs> that was really good. I yes, like, it was. But, but, you know, but we still—but I love them, and I, and I basically have lost contact with all those people— and the way the story was told was that I just basically have left my faith, I've left my family and all this stuff, and there's nothing I can do to fix that, and I don't think that would be fruitful either to fix it. That's one thing that I want everybody to hear because this was a powerful moment for me and has been over the years. Um, we sometimes think we'll get peace when we get answers. Answers don't give us peace. Christ gives us peace. Yes, amen. Right. And, and when I've been able to stay in his presence, and that's why I haven't gone crazy or jumped off a bridge or anything, is because of my relationship with Christ, and I have some of the best friends on planet Earth that have yeah. been here in amazing, amazing ways. I've gotten, you know, I just got one earlier today. People pray for me, and they'll let me know they're, they're praying, and they'll send me texts. I've had people help me out financially and stuff that he didn't even know and somebody told him about something going on and it's been absolutely amazing. And that's another thing I wish people knew is that, you know, predators are people too, you know, yes. and, and some of the most loving, wonderful people that I've ever known in my whole life. Yeah. You know, absolutely. Yeah. Man, that is really something else. So for all of you listeners out there, if you got a heart for him and you want to send him something, his name's Joel Rosenauer, reach out to us and we'll, we'll send him oh, whatever yeah. you need. And, um, so let's uh, let's wrap this testimony up here. And I really appreciate you coming all the way out from Idaho here to Virginia Thank Beach. Thank you. Yeah. As boy is, would be a warrior. His arms tired. Yes, it is. <laughs> he was actually. You were on a plane, and then had to be deboarded, right? Yeah. Can I can I share that real quick? Yeah, let's pretty hear it. So this is yesterday, and I get on the first plane, which is I have to drive about two two hours to get to the Boise Airport. There's an airport in Twin Falls, but it's it's regional and it's super expensive. So drive there. We get on the plane, and the the power goes out on the plane. Now, fortunately, it hadn't gone anywhere yet. So yeah, it wasn't in the sky. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was yeah. on the ground. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but it goes out, and then it, it kind of comes back on. It's one of those new EV planes. EV <laughs> planes, <laughs> right? Oh, no. And within the pilot comes on, and he says, yes, we need to you know, leave all your personal belongings. We need to deboard the plane. And we're thinking, oh, no. So we get off the plane, and then we're in the airport about a half hour. And then, it, and then somebody comes on the intercom in the airport. And what had happened, and I was glad the pilot made the choice he did. It made sense. But right about the time the power went out, he saw all this smoke coming from somewhere. He said, we got to get these people off the plane. The smoke was from one of the restaurants in the airport. It was a barbecue place. And they were just ah. making food, you know. <laughs> so anyway, we got back on that plane. But then, yeah, everything got That's delayed. He was hungry. He's like, yeah. we got to go back. I'm going to get something yeah. to eat. But, but everything got delayed. And so I got in at like 1.20 this morning. It was beautiful. But... <laughs> Oh, but that's not really beautiful, but okay. I mean, one twenty in the morning. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Well, Jerry, do you want to ask him the question that we always finish up with? Um, sure. So when you die, where do you go? I go, right, I, I would say it like this. Um, I actually really like the way um, Amy said this, is that to me, I mean, I'm not going to die. I'm going to die physically. He's talking about Amy Castillo have, in the last Castillo. episode. But, yeah. but I already yeah. have eternal life. Now I'm already in the presence of Christ now, so I don't know exactly what that looks like in terms of what type of body or anything I have, but I just continue on, and I think being in the presence of the Lord in even a more wonderful way that I can't even imagine. So, Yeah. yeah. 
That's the funny thing about, you know, I mean, a pastor, you do lots of funerals and I've never, ever been to a funeral where somebody says, I bet they're now down in Hades now, or, or <laughs> yes, you, know, yes. you know, I bet they're up, I bet they're up there with their souls, but you know, about a thousand years yonder, they're going to come back down and go, nobody says that, nobody believes that. So no. I think all yes. Christians have the right eschatology, they just don't know it yet. We yeah. need to help yeah. them out a it's little bit. It's easier to say they're in a better place. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they say yeah. that, and it's like, but they're in the ground waiting. Yeah, yeah. No, they're yeah. not. Anyway, yeah. yeah. so... Well, Joe Rosenauer, I really appreciate you, you coming and being on our program. Thank you. It yeah. means a lot. And um, and if I don't know if you shared anything much different from your um, testimony that was with Michael Miano, but if you want to hear more, go to Michael Miano's, I think he's the Power of Preterism Network, and check it check it out. He puts up stuff all the time. He's had me yep. and Bob Cruikshank and This one David was better Curtis because and, he didn't give me any free merch. No? Hey. Okay, so Miano. Actually, I gave Miano a bunch of free merch. Yeah. And he wears it on his show. Yes, he and does. he'll go out and like take pictures and stuff, and he's got our stuff on. So he's, yes. yeah, maybe we need to send Mike some more merch, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. get him one of the, like a baby burrow, like a little, like a baby yeah. burrow hat or something. <laughs> one of his bibs. Yeah. <laughs> little baby bibs. <laughs> I need a bib. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. We won't, we won't discuss that one on this broadcast. We'll discuss yeah. it later while you need it. Yeah. Well, thanks again, Joel. Thank you. Appreciate it, guys. Yeah. What do you think, Rick? Oh, man. I'll say it again. Preterism is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it has really helped people. Yeah. He, um, when I first met him, you know, I heard, I heard some of the story about what's going on, you know, like in his personal life. And uh, it reminded me a lot of what I've heard in the past, like what um, some other ministers have been through, maybe with their churches, but not necessarily in their relationships. Well, in this case, it's such a contrast because the last podcast that the listeners heard. Yeah. Preterism was a huge success. Yes. Help. help. Say, yeah, you're talking about Dr. Castillo? Um, yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Total help. Right. And then you see the other side now, the flip of where sometimes they can, it just creates turmoil. Yeah. And basically, outside of the man, he's a great guy. Got yeah. to spend some time with him. We all went to the beach, um, had fun. You might have heard a little bit the last time on the, when you listened to the podcast, we talked about us having fun at the beach. When, when, when we were there, so Joel was out there. I told you he got body slammed. But when we were standing there, so me and Bob, Bob was like, I'm not getting wet. I'm not getting wet. And we're like, cool. So we're just standing on the edge, letting the surf, you know, hit our feet. And then out of nowhere, like this eight foot wave just comes in, crashes on the beach. And I got sandblasted. I don't know if you've ever like, have you ever used a sandblaster? That's sand what blaster? happens when oh, you stand yeah. too close to the edge. Uh, ah, look at her sandblasting us. But I wasn't invited, but I made my presence known. You weren't invited. What do you mean? I wasn't invited to get with y'all to go to the beach. I thought I invited everybody. You invited me to New York. Oh my gosh! Are you serious? Well, I didn't know anything about the trip till I saw people posting videos. No, unbelievable! No, I everybody am a was invited. I, I sent out a text on the whole group chat. I thought, yeah, I thought so. But if I didn't, Sarita, I apologize. And if I did miss it, then I apologize. <laughs> I was. And I'm, I'm so sorry. I would have loved to have had you there. You'd have had a blast. You I would have because I like the ocean. Yes, you would have. Oh, on a side note, a uh, Bob Cruikshank. It took me an hour to vacuum all that sand you put in my truck. I, <laughs> I'm laughing. It's funny. Have you ever used a sandblaster, Billy? Yeah. Have, have you ever actually accidentally sandblasted your skin or your no, hand before? Because no, no, no. when you reach into a sandblast unit, it's like yeah, rubber, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I had the first time I ever used a sandblaster, the guy I was in, you know, I worked in a machine shop. And so I walked into the machine shop and they were like, go back there and blast these parts. I didn't know that they were playing a trick on the kid that was green. And so I go in there, I put my hands in there, and this glass. 
glove on the left hand side is like blown out. I'm holding the part. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, this is hurting. It so hurts. And I kept. They were like, just get it done. And then when I was done, they're like, you idiot. Dude, I, good I job, boss through man. It. Yeah. yeah so. I wasn't wow. very smart. Sucker. Anyway, I've got well, a small exterior one. I'm getting ready to use on my truck. Oh really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those. Yeah. Those are pretty cool too. Yeah, there's one. We have one over at the shop that so you can use like big things that you can't get inside your your cabinet. Anyway, that was a little bit of a sidetrack yeah, there. Try, try, to, try to use one on the outside, external where you have no protection. Oh yeah, so everything you blast comes right back at. Feels you. like you're standing on Virginia Beach. <laughs> yes. That's what it felt like to me. Yes. I was, I mean, and I use a face shield, head to toe, I soaked. Had, I had nothing. Oh really? Oh, nothing. No way. No yeah. eye protection. Yeah. Well, I mean, you but you put glasses on, but I mean, yes. I was gonna it say it did tore my face up. Yeah, he was like, like, a foot, like a football player from the twenties when oh, your I nose was, with your face mask. <laughs> oh, so I got long enough arms that I'm I'm okay. Yeah. Anyway, well, Billy, thanks for being here, Big Daddy, Ralph, Andy, Sarita. Appreciate you guys okay. sitting in did the we, studio. Did what? we even talk about the what we talked about? I don't yeah. Know. yeah. About Joel? Yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. Cut that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you sandblasted your yeah, face too hard. That is, it's just like it's, it's just like humans. You know, I was thinking about. I like you yeah. so long as you're like me. But once you have an opinion different than me, I'm not sure I like you anymore. Right, right. Well, anyway, guys, we will talk to you again next time on the Burrows of Berea. Peace out. Represent. Bye. Bye, y'all. Hey, guys, this is Rick from the Burrows of Berea. Do you know how much blood, sweat, and tears it takes to make a podcast? None. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't cost a lot. And so if you guys don't mind, if anybody would like to give to help us with these episodes, it would be great. We'll put out even more content. And if you go to our Patreon page, just search for the Burrows of Berea, you'll get extra notes, extra episodes, and it's pretty much free. A dollar gets you a lot. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.